Hello and welcome to the Longball Premier League Preview Show. I'm John Townsend. I'm Declan DeBarb. And I'm Kosti Kapoor. Pep wants to win the World Cup. Harry Kane is staying and Antonio is dirty dancing. Let's start the show. Now let's start off talking with the first game this weekend. Have starting off with a banger. Or at least the team names are banger. It's Arsenal versus Man City. Canadian time, 7.30 a.m. So early kickoff for us. And oh, what it would feel like to be a uh, to be a Gunner fan coming into this game, having lost two straight games, no squad cohesion, a defense in shambles right now. Do Arsenal stand a chance this game at all against City? Arsenal are a team that, as you said, John, are an absolute shambles coming in. They really seem to lack an identity, though. You know, with Odegaard coming back, it seemed like they're trying, starting to find their feet. Aubameyang was able to find the back of the net. Saka had a great game, as always, against West Brom in the Carabao Cup. But Arsenal, a team who are looking well off, well off the ways that uh, they were just a decade ago, half a decade ago, they're just not there. They don't have an identity, and Arteta really needs to develop that. People expected him to be the savior coming into this game into into this job but it hasn't worked out and i really wonder how much longer that they give him this is a really tough test especially against uh his old colleague in pep but this arsenal squad is in big big trouble and there seems to be something seriously wrong structurally with this team yeah um they scored six past west brown this week which is a falsified sort of fact almost because it's West Brom and it's not um it's it's not a PL team. It West Brom also played a heavily rotated squad in that game as well, full of all all kinds of youngsters. Okay. And Arsenal basically played their starting eleven except for maybe Kulasinac and Nuno Tavares on at left back. But otherwise they played almost exactly how they should have. Um I am just confused on how long Arteta does get in this role because he has done some interesting things in the transfer window when he's bought many youngsters that will or have the potential to be really good in the next five years say but he has no stability right now with Lacazette and Aubameyang only performing against EFL Cup teams not being good in the Premier League their best players are Xhaka, um, Odegaard, who's also both of these are players are very young. They don't have any spine in the team that you could go and say, yeah, this person will probably carry them through this tough period. It's the it's the hardest thing of a, for a football manager with money that is not that of cities or Chelsea or PSG coming into a squad. Um, although I'll go back to Liverpool and how they did it. They slowly transitioned a lot of players out and brought in good players for Felipe Coutinho's money. And that's how they did it. And I think that's what Arsenal should have done. But now the problem is they don't have that kind of player that they can sell to bring in a couple of good players. So they've just been slowly um, building up their squad with young players, which is fine to me. It's just what happens now is it's all in a flux. There's not really yeah. a leader on this team either, Costi. That, that I think, is a big problem. And as I said, it seems like there's something structurally wrong in the way that the squad is built. And I think a big part of that is 
their leader is really Granite Xhaka, who at times has struggled not only on the pitch, but also to keep his temper. He's a player who can go off uh, a little bit like Verratti, where, you know, he's a guy that is a little bit of a loose cannon at times. He's really the heart and soul of this team. And when a guy like that who can't keep his head cool, especially in big moments, you wonder how that affects the rest of the team. And obviously I have no insider information, but it just looks like this team is a little bit rotten. They have some high, really, really high power superstars, but not much cohesion and not many players who gel and who are there just to, you know, make the locker room feel good. It's kind of the same reason why Kurt Zuma was brought to the France squad. If that kind of makes sense, just a guy that everyone kind of likes that molds the locker room. And that's where this problem seems to be because this Arsenal squad, they don't seem to put the effort in until it's absolutely needed. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a squad that's aging and not aging at the same time. It's it's a big gap. So there's players like Aubameyang and Lacazette who are older um, that should be carrying the team, but don't seem to be able to in the Premier League. And they're almost like washed up superstars. They were superstars at one point at Dortmund um, and Leon. It was right for mm-hmm. Lacazette, and they they seemed very good at that point. But when they came to the Premier League, they just haven't had the consistency to lead this team into something big. And I think what Arteta is doing is molding Shaka, Saka, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, and players like that of that caliber to become future leaders, which is fine. And that's why he's getting a lot of stick right now because they're a team that's going to finish between 8th and 10th or 7th and 10th this season again unless they pull something insane out of the hat, which is to a bystander like me seem, makes sense. His process makes sense. His plan makes sense. But to an Arsenal fan, watching his team go through that almost three seasons in a row is really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. I, told, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that we're setting this team up to not be all that successful this weekend. And I don't think that that comes as much, as much of a surprise. It's been a really tough start of the season for Arsenal, but it's not looking good. It's not looking good. But we say it hasn't been a very good start the season for Arsenal I'm I'm not gonna be defending that at all I'm not gonna be disagreeing with that at all however with Man City first weekend they lost against uh, they lost against Spurs they didn't look like they could generate any offense but then the following week they put five past Norwich and you could look at a few of those goals and say if they had a different goalkeeper maybe maybe they could have stopped it they still put five past Norwich that is still a very uh, a very dominant attack that City still have even without a designated striker so going into this weekend is this which City side is going to show up the City side that struggles to create chances against Spurs or that dominates Norwich for City they played Gabriel Jesus on the right which was a big talking point on our football mastermind show as well um, this Sunday because we were all confused on why it wasn't Mares or why it wasn't Sterling He's also played on the right. Um, so that's that's another interesting point. Like, is it is it because he's trying to fade out Sterling a little bit because of his performances in the last season? What is, or is it just purely squad rotation? Because squad rotation this early into the season isn't something that you see with Pep too often either. It's when we get to the business end of the season that we see these sort of things that have never happened before happen. Or it could be because Ferran Torres 
is somebody that Pep is grooming to be the starting striker, which is also interesting because Torres does have great mentality to be a striker and he's got he's got I think great ball control, but I'm not quite convinced with the shooting yet. So I don't know what kind of city is going to show up this weekend. Is it going to be the similar 4-3-3 formation where we have players like Mares and Sterling on the bench with Grealish again taking all the thunder? Or is it going to be more that city side that we've seen where it's players touching the touch, hugging the touchline and striker scoring tap-ins? Yeah, I think the Gabriel Jesus point is really interesting where Pep exactly sees him because everyone has talked about City don't have a striker and that they've played strikerless with Fernand Torres up top, who I agree has all of the qualities to be a striker, though I don't know if Pep sees that long term. I imagine that City will be going in for Holland at the end of this season when his uh, release clause comes down to 80 million. But as has come out in the news, it seems like Pep and the Brazilian national squad kind of see Jesus being a wide forward coming into that mold. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Jesus play a little bit more on the outside and not even get a sniff in the middle. And it does end up being Fernand Torres. I think when you play this Arsenal squad, it's really going to be an interesting question, especially with all of the troubles that Arsenal have at the back. How does it matter? (laughs) <laughs> that's my question does it matter if it's Riyad Mahrez Sterling Jesus Ferran Torres Jack Grealish Kevin Dubrat does it matter if it's any one of those players do we really think that Arsenal can pull something insane like beating City at home I I honestly I don't know how much preparation Pep is even doing for this maybe he's just sitting by his house and having a beer and saying, yeah, it's whatever, it's Arsenal. That's well, what I mean, we think. I mean, it is Pep. That man does. That man's idea of fun is sitting in front of a blackboard and drawing lines and trying to figure out how he's going to play a WM again and bring it back. <laughs> uh, there's, 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 Pep takes no days off. He doesn't, he doesn't relax. So I'm sure that he's preparing to the max. But I, I think that you're right, Costi. This Arsenal squad looks like it's a little bit in danger here. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, if it's an absolute shellacking. Yeah, and uh, there was talks uh, from most pundits saying that Arsenal, although they've spent well in the transfer window given their plan, they didn't bring in a centre-back except for Ben White. I think they needed to bring in one more centre-back to maybe accompany Ben White or when Ben White couldn't play, that centre-back could also you know, galvanise the squad. I think they that's the one thing they're definitely missing because they have a good DM. They have a good DM who was injured and is coming back. It's just if they brought in one more center back, I think. Because Ben White's in the same sort of ilk, right? Um, but he's young and he's he's getting to be that good player. It's just they needed a senior center back, I think. Well, the center back partnership that I think is going to be for the long term is going to be Gabriel. Whenever he gets back from injury, he's more of the traditional defensive central defender role. And I think him alongside a ball-playing centre-back like Ben White would be a great partnership. It just so happens that this Arsenal squad has been in absolute shambles to start the season. Haven't had Lacazette and Aubameyang in a regular season game yet. They did play EFL Cup, but that's against West, West Brom's U23s, as we, as we pointed out. Once this Arsenal squad gets back to full health, gets back to the, uh, to, to the pitch playing together, I think then we can kind of evaluate to see how good Arsenal are under Arteta. I think right now they're lucky to get Europa League. They're kind of in that max fourth 
but that's, that's if everything goes right with fourth. But maybe in and around that six to eight range for Arsenal. But this, I'm not, I'm also not going to be saying that Arsenal's going to be beating City this weekend. But I think the City attack is going to be a lot closer to the Spurs attack than it is the Norwich game, where the reason, the reason why Arsenal got battered last weekend against Chelsea was they have nobody to throw at Lukaku. No matter what defender Lukaku was matched up with, he just dominated them. He's too powerful. City don't have that that striker, that centralized striker who will just bother you in the air. They have so much talent, so much quickness. Maybe that's the key with City using just the quickness and attack to you know, run right past Arsenal. But I, I think Arsenal's defense will be a lot better this weekend than it was last weekend for that reason. I would almost doubt that and say that the reason why Spurs versus City was a different game was because Nuno plays exactly, almost exactly like Jose, where he has most men behind the ball and he has one or two men uh, that are up front. In this case, it was Son and Mora. But Arsenal and specifically Arteta rarely change their identity even when they're playing against the best teams. And they've been touted for that a lot in the past where you will see... Arsenal playing City or Arsenal playing Liverpool and still trying to play from the back when you know that both of these teams will press like maniacs and get the ball off of you. So that's my that's my reasoning to saying that I think the reason why City struggled against Spurs was Spurs are a defensive unit and that's just how Nuno plays. That's how Jose has been playing. That's just that's just what I believe. And with the City squad, it looks like. Well, it looks like the ambitions to get Harry Kane this summer is going to be off because Harry Kane came out saying that he's going to be staying. However, today they were linked with a stunning rumor for Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, trying to, in a sense, become like Carlos Tevez when he left United to go to City to become a traitor to go to the, the bastards of Manchester City. But if they get Ronaldo... And their plan is, get Ronaldo this season, he'll be the talisman, he'll be the striker for this season. Come next season, we bring in Holland, and we just wreck shop for the decade. I'm kind of terrified of that, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. What do you guys think the chances are that Ronaldo actually signs for City? With the craziness that's been happening in this, in this transfer window, I would say like over 80%. We know that he started on the bench because he requested to start on the bench. Um... I, I can't remember which exact team it was against. It was Juve versus Udinese. Uh, I'm pretty Udinese, sure. Yeah. Um, so he's he clearly wants to move out of Juventus. City have the money. City had the money for Kane. So City had the money for Ronaldo. And the I, fee is is rumored to be about twenty five million, twenty five exactly. million euros. So it's yeah. it's not much. Um, what's costing them is the 14 million euros a season for two seasons, which is, again, they were willing to spend 150 on Kane. And this is about what, 30 plus 30, 60, 60 million for two seasons. That's a bargain for a player like Ronaldo, even if he comes off the bench for 30% of the games and 70% he starts, even then he is a bargain for 60 million for two seasons, especially if he brings in the UCL. If he brings in the UCL, he's a bargain. If he doesn't, then it's a waste. That's my point. The I fact think, that you I can think... have Cristiano Ronaldo off the bench is just egregious. Ronaldo won't ever play off the bench, but I think that Ronaldo provides City something that they don't have. Ronaldo currently is a true out-and-out 
penalty spot guy. striker. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, Fernand Torres can't do that. Kevin De Bruyne, if he's played at striker, can't do that. Mares can't do that. Sterling can't do that. He provides something they don't have. I think the problem, though, when you saw it with Juventus, is that you need to build your team around Ronaldo. You have to focus your attack on Ronaldo, and that just won't happen at City. So that's why I don't know if it makes sense, though Ronaldo does provide them that tactical flexibility. If something isn't working, you throw Ronaldo on and I mean... I don't love the guy, but he he's undoubtedly one of the best players in the world and the best striker at uh, the best striker possibly ever. So, you know, I think that there is that argument, especially when you consider the financial side of it. But I just don't see that making sense for a pep squad that really relies on some squad rotation, relies on versatility. And with Ronaldo, you can only play one way and say what you want about how things went with Pirlo. He was definitely handicapped given the fact that he had Ronaldo and Ronaldo really went against everything that he stood for. And, you know, he wasn't able to use players like Chiesa, uh, like Morata, like Bernadeschi in the way that he wanted to. So I think that there's that also that argument that, you know, there's the lure of getting Ronaldo, but Ronaldo also handicaps you in a lot of ways. Moving on to Ronaldo's old stomping grounds, though, as our next game we're going to be talking about is Manchester United at Wolverhampton Wanderers. That's going to be at, on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And could we see a potential Van debut come this Sunday for United, as well as maybe Sancho's first start with United? I would like to see Varane start. Um, I'll ask you, John, because you're a United fan. Maguire's fit now, right? Mm-hmm. So Maguire and Varane, that's if if we see that against a team like Wolves that have almost everything that United would want to defend against in Raul Jimenez as a nice, strong central forward. You have Adama Traore running at you like a maniac from the left, right? And then you have some pace and trickery on the right as well. And you have a decently stacked midfield. That's almost everything that you want to see Varane and Maguire hire, uh, sort of go up against and come up the, the better side, right? And that's why I believe that if this is the first game that they're introduced as part as partners, it's it's a big test, also a, a decent enough test that they could be introduced against because there will be times when maybe the fullbacks are up high. I know that United are not like Liverpool in that they don't play their fullbacks the same way that Liverpool does, where our fullbacks are almost like wingers. But still, if I would like to see Varane against... Um, Jimenez and Maguire sort of covering the overlapping run or something like that. I want to see that pace from Varane and that bodying from Maguire to see how they handle these two special players and they come up sort of victorious. I would like to see that if this is the way that United are going to be challenging for a title this season. With United's defense, I honestly think there's no really wrong way you can set it up because even if you want to do back three, which is something Solskjaer's never done, mainly I think because they haven't had three good defenders in a while, but if you so happen, you get a little bit of inspiration from facing Wolves, seeing their back three, I think I'd be fine with the Varane, Maguire, Lindelof back three, because you got because all three of them are great ball progressors, 
all three or at least two of the three are good aerial uh, aerially and i really like kind of the balance but in that in that uh, center back partnership between all of them but in regards to wolves attack specifically val jimenez and wolves as a whole they haven't scored a goal yet in the prem their attack has been lackluster now Raul's coming back from a from a skull fracture. I would imagine that's going to take him time to, you know, shake a little bit of the rust off. So I'm not that worried about Wolves' attack this uh, this coming game, as well as Adam Atroy. Uh, you're great. You know, I love you. He's a phenomenal player. Let me introduce you to Aaron Wambasaka, the league's best defensive full fullback. He's going to shut him down. No issue with that. It's so relieving to be have a team with Enwan Basaka on it. It's 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 like having a shutdown corner in football where it's just it's 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 such a freeing feeling. It's like okay, I don't have to worry. He's he's good. He has him. But I don't know if Ferran's going to get a start. I could see him coming off the bench this game because that's just how the Premier League works. It's rare that you get a debut start. It's more you come off the bench unless you're Virgil van Dijk. Unless you're Virgil van Dijk, yes, but. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how this United team lines up. Less this game, more throughout the season. But uh, the attack is one I'm even more fascinated with because I, I remember saying in the previews, I wouldn't be surprised if next if next season we look for definitely uh, definitely bring in a CDM. That's our number one target, no matter what. But a second one would, would in my mind would have been like one B was a striker because Cavani's getting up to an age. We may not need it now. Greenwood has been phenomenal to watch. This could be his breakthrough season, kind of like Rashford in his debut season, where it was like, oh, we have, we, this is our next star player. And if we have Greenwood down the middle, Rashford on the left, and Sancho on the right, that's going to be a tough team to start, to stop for years to come. I totally agree. And I think that. United have sneakily built themselves back up. Uh, it wasn't too long ago we were talking United as, you know, kind of in a very similar situation to Arsenal where there's something wrong at this club. There's They're going in the opposite direction. But you've had the youth come in, first Marcus Rashford and now Mason Greenwood. And I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan of the Sancho signing. I thought it was more splash than it was purpose. And I'm still kind of on that train, but once again, it's all about that versatility, and Sancho provides that. He is a traditional winger who can do, who can fill in the roles of a few others, plays an inside forward, and he really makes that right side of the pitch his own, especially when he's paired up with Aaron Wambasaka on that side. He does the work of both of them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that we truly do have a four-team race this season uh, in who can really challenge for this league and it's good it's good to see some familiar names especially man united because i think the premier league's a better league when you have a strong united uh, as much as it pains me to say that it's just yeah. the truth and striker has always been that issue for united for the for the past couple of seasons and i think that a partnership between rashford greenwood and J jaden sancho would just be lights out and that's just that's just something you haven't been able to say for quite some time. Yeah, it's a great feeling being a United fan to be able to say that. The other thing I was the other thought I had while watching uh, the past couple of games is Martial really needs to grow his hair back. He's looking far too much like Ashley Young, and he's playing far too much like him. And it's because every time I see him, and just that 
super shiny bald head. It's like, oh, do we have we still have Ashley Young. Like it's, it just throws me off every single time. But moving on to Wolves, will Bruno Lager finally switch uh, from a three at the back system to a four three three or four two three one, and actually try to jumpstart this Wolves attack because they haven't scored a goal in the past couple games. Last game they had twenty five shots against Spurs, six on target compared to Spurs eight total shots and six of them on target. Can they actually find any form, any ability to put the ball in the back of the net come Wolves, this Sunday? Wolves only lost that game because Adama Traore can't finish. There was no question about how good they were. I think they were the better side overall. It's just they can't finish, and that's just it's you can't teach somebody that overnight. And Adama Traore needs a little more time to sort of develop that. He needs to go and do what Sterling did, where Sterling Pep came out to say that Sterling would stay more than just training to just focus on his finishing. He would do more one-on-one drills. He would do more shooting practice, more free kicks practice. And that's what he needs to do to get his game to that final ultimate level where we know he's strong. We know he'll shove any defender off unless, again, it's Van Dyke. Um, and he'll do everything that you, you need from a winger. It's just he needs more He needs more finishing practice and his end product needs to go better. And Raul Jimenez is coming back from an injury. So I think they'll be, I think Wolves will be fine giving them a couple more games to get them into the groove of putting the ball in the net, which you need from Raul Jimenez, who's probably a little bit scared playing with that thing on his head and a fractured skull. Um, I don't doubt that this game will be good to watch. I still think that if if Wolves can find their finishing product, I think it'll be a very tight game. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And you've seen the opportunities that uh, not sorry, not Rahu Menes. You've seen the opportunities that Adama Traore has, has created. He's had uh, breakaways in both games and hasn't been able to finish. So, Costi, I think you're exactly right that that finishing touch just isn't there and he's got to find it. Traore has always been that more creative player. I wouldn't be surprised if Bruno Lage has him playing a little bit more centrally this game to kind of get him away from Aaron Wambasaka and try and create a little bit more space in inside the channel between Basaka and uh, whether it's Lindelof or, or if we do see Varan, Varan. But this Wolves team just has to find the back of the net and scoring really is about confidence and I don't think that confidence is quite there yet. Yeah, exactly. Scoring is all about confidence and if you once you have that confidence, it's a different ballgame. So um, I'm curious to see what happens with uh, both these players that are amazingly talented one's coming back from injury one's just needs to figure out how to finish yeah and they it's not like they don't have the quality we've talked about Jimenez and Traore but they also have Trincao uh, on the opposite flank who is just quality they have Podons who is starting to come back from injury uh Neto who hopefully will be back soon though we probably won't see him until February there's talent on this Wolves team they just have to Go through the motions. Every team goes through this, and they struggled with it a lot last season. It's really why they struggled. Bruno Lage, though, a player who knows how to work with young players, a player who, or a coach who knows how to get the best out of his players, as he did in Portugal, and a coach who loves to score goals. And I, I, I don't believe that those aren't coming. They will come. It's just a matter of when and if it's too late. And we will see come this Sunday, will the goals finally come for Wolves? 
But now we move on to our halftime, where today we're going to be playing a game we'd like to call Chupamo Mo Teams. And this week, Declan is going to be hosting that game. So Declan, would you like to explain to the audience what is Chupamo Mo Teams? Yeah, so this game, heavily inspired by Luke's game from the Football Ramble, uh, is a take on a lottery game. There's going to be one player. He's, he played for X and amount of clubs. John and Costi will bet on how many clubs they can win. And the winner of the auction has to name their clubs. If they get a club wrong, they lose. And the point goes to the other, to the other player. If they get all of the teams, right, that they, that they auctioned for, they get the point. It's best three out of five. And John, as the resident host, I will be throwing to you first. Our first player is Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll has played. Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll has played for four clubs. How many of Andy Carroll's clubs can you name? Oh, that that is a tough one. Um, I'm going to start off by saying I'm going to guess two. I want to see if Costi can push the three. Two. I think he's left the door open. Costi, can you go mm. three? I can I can go three. Can I go three? I remember two. Uh, yeah, so, I think I can go three. Yeah, yeah. And John, do you want to name all four or are you going to let Costi name his three? Mm, you know what? As I was saying that, I remembered the third. So <laughs> yeah. you, you left the sweet spot open for cost. I did. I did. I don't uh, think I can do four. Uh, me neither. So I want to hear three from Costi. And I will okay. say Costi does not has have his camera on. So who knows? He may be on Wikipedia right now. Uh, I, I trust Costi. I don't think that that he'll cheat. But Costi, I want you to name your three. Okay. So um, he started off his career at uh, Newcastle. Yes. So that's good. And then he went to Liverpool. He did. Um, and I think he finished it off at Newcastle. But before that, it was West Ham as well. That, those are three. The one you missed, he spent a season on loan at Preston North End. He's currently wow. playing right now for Newcastle United. Okay. So okay. Point one goes to Costi. That's a good round. I'm, I'm upset that you didn't know West Ham, John. You know, I actually did know West Ham. Somehow, I blanked Liverpool out of my brain. Oh, I just oh. completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, our next player, one of football's greatest ever players, Thierry Henry. Ooh. Thierry Henry has played for five clubs. And wow. Costi, it's your turn to go first. So, Costi, how many of Thierry Henry's five clubs can you name? Okay, so should I give some hints to John? Along no, you don't want to leave that. I mean, that's up to you, but I don't know if you want to leave the door open for some that he hasn't gotten. Uh, I think I can do. I can. I, I, I'll start with three. I think I can do three. Three, John. Can you do four? I can do four. Costi, can you name all five? I cannot name all five, but I can do four as well. But John, you said four first, so you go. Oh, the boys are swinging for the fences. John, whenever you're ready. I don't know if I. Could, I don't know if I could have done five, but if, if after I get these, I want to see if I can maybe get the fifth one. But Juventus. Yes. Arsenal. Went thereafter. Barcelona. Followed Arsenal by Barcelona. New York Red Bulls. New York Red Bull. And who's the fifth? Who did he start his career off with? Oh, it's, a, it's definitely in the Liga. I'm Hit. feeling... You're just showboating at this point. You've already I've... gotten the point. You have... I know. Nice and quick. A, a fast game's a good game. Hint, he man is that I'm feeling Nice. I'm feeling Monaco. Nice. Monaco. Oh, no. But John still, John still gets the point. We're all tied up after two. 1-1. One, one. The next one, John, it's back to you. And mm -hmm. one of the Premier League's best ever strikers, 
Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch has played for 11 clubs. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. How many of Peter Crouch's <laughs> 11 clubs can you play, can you name? Let me let me think about this one for a second because 11 clubs is a lot. 11 clubs is a lot. I know that you're not using pen and paper. I don't mm-hmm. know if Costi's using pen and paper. I'm sure that, no, that would just help. No, in my head. For a guy with ADHD, this is just absolute <laughs> torture. Um, God, I'm going to say a ridiculously low number for Crouch just because, yeah. You, I can really only picture him in two kits, so I, I don't blame Same. you. Same, yeah. Because I feel like he must have had, oh, actually, I'm, I'm remembering stuff. This is unlocking memories. I'm going to go four. Four clubs. Costi, yeah. can you do five? I believe I can do five. Five. John, do you want to do six? Mm, can you do six? I don't think so. So I want to hear Costi. Okay, go Costi. Okay, so I remember QPR. QPR? Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot about that. I remember Southampton because after that he came to Liverpool. Yes, sir. He so- was a big thing at Liverpool. Yeah. Then I remember Tottenham. Yes. And then the last one, which is the most famous, Stoke. Stoke. That's all five. John, did you have those five? I had the last two. I I completely forgot about QPR and Southampton. I I was going to say Liverpool, Portsmouth, Spurs, mm-hmm. and Stoke. That was probably going to be my four. The other teams, I, yeah. he started his career at Spurs, went on loan to Dulwich Hampton, IKF Hassenholm in Sweden, QPR, Portsmouth, Villa, Norwich, Villa, Southampton, Liverpool, Spurs, Stoke, and finished his career at Burnley. Burnley? Burnley in 2018-19. Wow. Well done, Deitch, for giving him a job. I like so that. Point to Costi, 2-3. This is 2-1. This is the deciding round. If Costi wins, Costi wins the first ever game of Chupo Mo teams. And we're going to start, and we're going to go with one of my favorite ever players, if not my favorite player of all time, Johan Cruyff. Oh, Johan Cruyff uh, so has played for six teams. How many of Johan Cruyff's six teams can you name, Costi? Uh, that's so bad. This is hard. I think I can name three. Three. That's, a, that's good. Three is, I want to I, I hear that three. I think three is in the sweet spot. Can you name your three, Costi? Yeah. This, so the two are simple. Ajax and Barcelona. Yeah. And then he finished it off with Feyenoord. Yes, he did. And Costi wins. Costi wins the inaugural. So the reason why I remember this, uh, Johan thing, is because I was watching a Barcelona documentary-ish about their history or something like that. And obviously, Cruyff was mentioned. And uh, they mentioned it there. And I was like, this. And then they mentioned where he ended. And um, most of my football knowledge that's from like that's like weird knowledge like this comes from like watching documentaries just FYI <laughs> I, hi- I highly recommend anyone who hasn't read it already the ball is round Johan Cruyff's uh, autobiography you know what also sticks out in my head all the time from that book he played for Levante Levante really? Levante oh. in Spain and the other two clubs he played for LA as the LA Aztecs and the Washington Diplomats a tour oh, out in okay. out in the US for to add up to his six clubs. And why don't we do the last one for fun? Costi's already won, but we'll go back to you, John. I'll sit back on this one. My actual favorite, <laughs> <laughs> my actual favorite player of all time, Bobby Moore. How many of Bobby Moore's eight clubs can you name? 
I don't know. We were going back to wartime players. Yeah, like is this? <laughs> it's all over legal? the place. It's all over the place. Um, I don't. I don't think I can mention one. <laughs> Maybe like one. It's, I, John, it's John's bet first. The, the Costi is open the door. <laughs> uh, Come on, John, a strong be, showing. Go, go down I'd with, go lying, down with Valor. I'd be lying if I said I know more than one. So one cost. Are you gonna let let him name West Ham? Yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> oh well, that's the game, folks. <laughs> For those curious, West Ham, Fulham, San Antonio Thunder, Seattle Sounders, Herring for Fermud, Inglewood Kiev, Rockingham United, and the Carolina Lightning. Nice. Bobby Moore's other seven clubs. Rockingham United. What is wow. Well, that was that was an excellent game. I really, really enjoyed Chupamo teams. But that's going to bring us on to the second half, and we're going to be covering our match of the week, Chelsea at Liverpool. This is going to be Saturday at 12.30 p.m. I believe that's going to be the last game on Sunday, if memory serves correct. But, gentlemen, Lukaku is in the Prem. He showed up with a, with vengeance in his, in his heart against Arsenal last weekend. Now... That was also against the defense of Bob Holding and Pablo Mari. But how will he fare against Van Dyke, Costi? So I think Lukaku is a very strong player that can't shove people like Pablo Mari away easily. But I don't think that Rob Hold- the way Rob Holding went down uh, before Lukaku scored the first goal, his first goal back. I don't know if you guys remember that clip where basically Lukaku shoved him and he was on the ground. I don't think that happens to Van Dyke. That might happen to Matip, but I don't think that happens to Van Dyke even at this stage of his recovery. But I think we are going to need both Matip and Van Dyke and Fabinho, all three players, to stop this Chelsea side. And that's not just Lukaku that's going to be... Everybody else that's on Chelsea, that including Pulisic, who's probably not even going to be on the bench. I think that what gets focused on too much, though, is Lukaku's physical presence. Because before, when he was at Everton, that was, that was by far the best attribute about him. He, he could boss a game. He could take on two, three defenders and not even be phased. But Lukaku's time in Italy with Inter, he had to evolve his game because... One, the Italian game is, while not more physical, it is a lot more tactically physical, if that makes if that makes sense. I think defenders get away with a lot more on strikers just because of the nature of the game. It's a little bit more defensive, and Lukaku had to elevate his game with Inter, and you saw the way that he played with uh, Lautaro Martinez. The way that he really acts as a player who takes up space. He's not afraid to draw two, three defenders in and slip in a player. And you saw that against Arsenal, especially on, I think it was their second goal when Lukaku takes the space in the middle, rides a challenge, plays it through to Reese Williams and, or sorry, Reese James and Reese James is in for, for a nice, easy goal. That is the threat that I would really worry about, how he can draw players like Van Dyke and Fabinho out of position and the way that Lukaku has now been able to look around, read the game, take a second, and that has really come with age. And I think that, John, we, we seem to mention this every, every single episode, that strikers get better as they get older, and Lukaku is a prime example of this. 
he's become a much wiser operator. And part of that is his ability to read the game, interpret space and create space for others. I like the phrase Ramdeuter. He, I know he's not a Ramdeuter, but kind of that guy who comes in, takes up space and uses it to probe defenses and create openings for his teammates that he can then move the ball on with his exceptional passing skill or hold a ball up and knock it onto a teammate and rush into the box and finish it away. So I think it'll be a really interesting test. Lukaku, definitely the form striker in Europe right now. And I think it'll be a very tough test for Virgil van Dijk, especially this early in the season. Yeah. I just think that this Chelsea team has a lot of depth and that doesn't always translate into wins, especially in cup competitions. But we know that this is the Premier League where depth always helps. So in this specific game, I was just talking about Chelsea in general and what, what I think they'll do this season. I think they faded off last season and finished scrapingly fourth. Um, but they've added to that. They've added a striker that can that will produce almost guaranteed 20 goals this season, um, which will help them compete for the league. It's just this one-off game against a team like Liverpool that's on the up, I think it could be it could be tricky because we will, at the end of the day, give them a hard go with all the pressing and all the diagonals that Van Dijk's going to make to Salah and other midfielders. I just think it's a one-off game where Liverpool's on the up, Chelsea's on the up. I don't, I wouldn't call it just yet, if that makes sense. I think you're right, Kosti. This is a this is an early season title decider, as as we were talking about when we were discussing the Manchester United game. I think that there's four four teams that can really make a push for it, and this Chelsea Liverpool game will be tasty. I think that at the end of the day, the question is what can Lukaku do to push this team forward, or what can the front three of Liverpool do to attack this Chelsea team and really create troubles for them? Because Thomas Tuchel has seemed to make this Chelsea team, first of all, tight at the back. And that has been what is the most important thing for them. So what problems do you see them giving this Chelsea backline? So I think Salah and Mane and Jota now are all up for the task. And I think that's one of the things that they will struggle with is pace because we will come at them at pace. And if Keita starts, we get that midfield dominance in terms of creativity because unless Mason Mount plays in midfield, Chelsea has the same creativity that Keita can provide. So I believe that if we start Fabinho, Henderson, Keita in midfield, we can win that battle unless Kante starts, which Kante hasn't been starting, which is insane to me. Anyway, unless Kante starts, I think we can win that midfield battle. And then up front, if we handle Lukaku, I don't think that this game is sort of out and out done and dusted. Yeah, I think I think that it will, will definitely be interesting. This game seems to have everything written all over it for an absolute classic, whether that be the battle between one of the best defenders in the world, one of the best strikers in the world, uh, titanic midfield battle. Uh, between the likes of Fabinho and Conte and Henderson and just the likes and an interesting topic up front. Do you think that it will be Diego Jota, Diego Jota who gets the start in the middle once again? He did score um, in the la- last time out for Liverpool, but he didn't look very comfortable in that role. So I'm just very curious to get your opinions on who who you think is the best start, starting three for Liverpool right now. 
I think it's it is uh, Mane, Jota, and Salah for sure. I think um, Jota just provides something that Firmino hasn't been able to in a while. That is forward runs with the intent of finishing. I think Firmino's dropping back scenario is amazing, and it's it's well well documented that he does well off the bench as well because then defenders that have been sort of going after Jota's forward runs now have to adjust their game mid-game to watch out for Firmino dropping back into midfield and picking up the ball. So I think I think it's the front three is now Jota, Mane, and Salah. I would just hope that we could bring in someone over the week, someone over the weekend because Shakiri has just left and Liverpool either do business right at the top of the window or at the end. So it's it's always interesting following Liverpool through a transfer window. If we bring in someone off the ilk of Jota again, um, then I think Liverpool are title contenders. But right now, it's we need massive amounts of luck for none of our players to be injured to be title contenders. Austin, I think that that's the truth about basically anyone right now where, you know, it's a long season. I mean, if you ignore City because City are literally owned by a country um, that the course of a season is decided by who and when when they do get injured. So I really see that this Liverpool squad has the potential to push on and find their form from two years ago when they won and Last season was a little bit of a fluke, missing so many important players and pushing a lot of others into different areas, though I do think that this might be Liverpool's last season at the top without some heavy reinvestment. But I think that this game goes a long way in deciding that. John, what do you think? I think it could definitely play a massive role in the long run where you know these, these games could decide... Could, could decide the league if Chelsea and Liverpool are one and two come February, March area. And I, it's, I think it's going to be a tough game. I have no idea how it will go because I could see Chelsea winning. I could see it being a draw and I could see Liverpool winning. But no matter what the case is, I am very much looking forward to seeing it because I think it's going to be a great battle on both ends between Liverpool's attack, which is red hot right now, and Chelsea's attack that just got a boost a boost of Nitros in adding Lukaku to it. So no matter what, it's musty TV on Saturday. Definitely an early season six-pointer. And with the Azuma deal now over the line as well with Chelsea, as as I'm sure West, uh, as I'm sure Declan's very excited being a West Ham supporter, but does this open up a path for Jules Kounde? Maybe uh, that signing will get over the line. They're also in talks with getting Saul as well from Atletico Madrid. But how specifically Kounde? How does he fit into the Chelsea squad in your opinion, Costi? Does he fit into a squad, or is he too? Is he a player for the future? That's what I'm. I'm thinking about. I think this does he does he replace any of the center backs right now? On form, I wouldn't put him in over Chalabi, but I think that that is the battle. Wow, long term going in is Kunde the replacement for Rudiger? I don't think so. I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's starting in right next to Rudiger. I'm thinking it's gonna be. Just Rudiger and and Kunde as the back too. I I love Chalabar, but Kunde's a starter for fans. Kind of guy got to give him the spot first thing, or at least a month after getting to the club, it's his spot. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I just think I don't think Chelsea are moving away from the back three. I don't. I think uh, Tuchel likes the back three, and it's worked. Mm. 
it's worked in the Champions League. It's worked mostly in the league as well. So I don't think he goes away from the back three, uh, especially because he's going to have the hard choice to, of dropping Aspilicueta, who's the captain, who is their leader, which is a rough thing to do as well. So I don't know. I just think uh, yeah. he might be somebody they bring in that ultimately fits in for Thiago Silva uh, when he is slowly, you know, starting on the bench and gets phased out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking that that third option is probably going to be a revolving door between, you know, as as you said, Silva, Christensen, Azpilicueta, exactly. Chalaba. They just have names on names on names at Chelsea. And now let's move on to stoppage time, where we're going to be talking about our predictions for the week. But first, let's look at how the predictions went last weekend. And right now, Declan's off to a bit of an early lead. His he went six or four on his predictions. Got the Brentford game wrong as well as we all did, to be honest. But nobody saw that, that ending up in a tie. The Everton, uh, Everton game, United game, and also the uh, Wolves Spurs game too. We all kind of went five for five, six for four. So it was a very close first week. But moving on to to this next week, Declan, are you ready to do your predictions? Yes, sir. Thirty seconds on the clock. In three, two, one. City Arsenal. City. Newcastle, Southampton. Southampton. Everton, Brighton. Going off the board here, Brighton. West Ham, Palace. Come on, you irons. Leicester, Leicester versus Norwich. Leicester. Villa versus Brentford. Draw. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Sorry, Costi, I think it's going to be Chelsea. <laughs> Burnley versus Leeds. Leeds. Spurs versus Watford. Spurs. And Wolves versus United. Draw. Oh, just over th- uh, 31 seconds, but we'll let it slide. And why don't we go Costi now? Have sure. him read out uh, his predictions. So, Costi, you ready? Yes. Three, two, one. City versus Arsenal. City. Newcastle versus Southampton. Southampton. Everton versus Brighton. Everton. West Ham versus Palace. Kurt Zuma, West Ham. <laughs> Leicester versus Norwich. Leicester. Villa versus Brentford. I also went for a draw. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Come on, Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, no shocker there. Burnley versus Leeds. Leeds. Spurs versus Watford. Spurs. Wolves versus United. United. And time, 30 on the dots. Well done. It seems like our guests do a better time of staying under than we do, John. Yeah, we, we just, we, we monologue. We do, we do. Because we haven't talked enough already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, John, it's your turn now. You ready? Yep. City Arsenal. Manchester City. Newcastle Southampton. Newcastle. Everton Brighton. Everton. West Ham Palace. It can go any way. I'm going draw. Leicester Norwich. Leicester. Uh, Villa Villa Brentford. Villa, and that's must-watch TV. Liverpool Chelsea. Chelsea. Burnley Leeds. Leeds. Spurs, Watford. Spurs. Wolves, United. Manchester United. 31 seconds, John. Good job. Ooh, same time, me and you. Ah, look at us. <laughs> but, but, John, that... I think that before we end, we should quickly do a fantasy okay. update because I'm living I'm living life good in the uh, Mastermind site Premier League fantasy. I'm currently in second place. And, John, you're not doing so well down in eighth. What's happening? Uh, that sucks. Well, you... You know what? After a couple 
rough starts to the season. I took a little bit of time off, went to the cottage for a couple of days, cleared my head, you know, got got my aura back, you know, feel balanced in my life, and now my now my team's ready, ready to kick some ass in uh, week three. Well, I think you'll need it because, you know, you're about thirty points behind me, John. So you got to pick up the pace. Costi, how are uh, you doing? I fun fact, I don't play fantasy. I I've tried it for the past. Sorry, okay? Costi just had yeah. an earthquake. Everything's good. Everything's good. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, my roommate has a broken arm, and he tried to pick some things up, and uh, his broken arm didn't help there, and everything's on the ground. But everything's okay. Um, but yeah, I tried fantasy for a bit, and it's just not for me, honestly. I just, if I'm going to manage a team, I'll manage like uh, a small team out in Richmond Hill with my buddy. That's what that's what we'll do in the fall. That's the team I'll be managing, and not buying players, but you know, trading players. Um, yeah, fantasy never, never, never could get into it. Well, good luck, good luck to your Richmond Hill team. Hopefully, it's better managed than John's team. <laughs> you know what? Comeback season starts now. Okay, John. Okay. But thank you so much for coming on the show today, Costi. Would you like to take the? Would you like to take a moment and let the audience know where to find you and where to follow yeah. your Richmond Hill team uh, at Football Masterminds? <laughs> F U T B O L Masterminds. Um, as we all know, every all of us here are uh, creators or somehow attached to the Mastermind site. So always check out the Mastermind site as well. And uh, uh, we all promote each other's show and all of that good stuff. So I'll be posting a lot of this long ball uh, stuff on our Instagram page as well. Great. Make sure, make sure you give uh, the Instagram page a follow and Twitter page. Do a lot sure of good th- stuff right now. And make sure you guys are checking out the review show. We're the preview cut. Co- we're the preview squad. John and Re- uh, Costi and Reese are the review squad. So make sure you're you're following both uh, both channels because they put out a lot of quality content. Mm-hmm, definitely. And Declan, why don't you let the audience know where to find you? You can find me on Twitter as always at debarp14. Um, you know, just uh, post a lot of my writing and stuff uh, on there. So make sure to give that a follow. And. While you're at it, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JohnTownsend99. And that is going to do for today's show. Make sure to keep an eye on the Mastermind podcast feed for the Mastermind review show after this weekend's games. If you enjoyed this podcast, give us a five-star rating as it really helps grow the show. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.